Well, good morning. My name is Joe Magby, just in case we haven't met yet. I'm going to hide this microphone so it doesn't fall and make it weird. Uh, I am not the teaching pastor here at Melanie Park Church. That would be Todd Sapisa, who is out on sabbatical, so in the words of Jeff Oldham, anything goes, basically. So, okay. Maybe I heard that wrong. That's okay. Todd, wherever you are, we miss you, and uh, we're glad that you're on break. So, uh, Todd asked a few of us this, this summer to jump in and help with the teaching through our summer series on the Sermon on the Mount, which has been awesome. Roger kicked us off a few weeks ago with this point that it's not about doing more. I mean, the, the religion of the day was about doing more so you could enter into the presence of God, right? Just do, do, do. But the Sermon on the Mount's different. Jesus is turning that on his head and saying it's not about what you do externally so much as it is what is changing in you internally. And that's really tricky, especially for those of us that have been in church for a long time, because there's this kind of back and forth between, well, I know that I'm saved by grace through faith alone, and it's not my works and what I own, it's on all these things, but I'm still supposed to do stuff, right? Like, I'm still supposed to live this out. I'm still supposed to kind of look and walk and talk and act like a Christian, right? Like, that was my story. So I grew up in church. I don't know if you grew up in church, but I grew up in church. I'm a pastor's kid. So that's strike one. Um, <laughs> I did Awana as a kid. Any, any Awana veterans in here? Woo! Yeah. We're kind of like the veterans of foreign wars, you know? Like, we've seen some stuff. Um, but I loved Awana because I got to really achieve with that and memorize all the Bible verses. I got, I got a lot of Awana dollars. Um, when I was in high school, I started learning to play the drums, which playing the drums in a Baptist church is kind of like signing up to be part of an endangered species. But... But it's okay, we made it through, made it through, and then so I did high school, did youth group through high school, and then I graduated high school, went off to college in England, a Bible school in England for a year, which is where I met my beautiful wife, Barbara, who is way cooler than me, Um, and everyone said amen. But so Bible school in England, and then came right on back to, to, um, to Washington State where we were living, and started getting into ministry, and so I had to get a degree, and so I went to Liberty University, graduated cum laude with a degree in religion with an emphasis on Christian ministry, and that's exactly what we did. We did youth ministry, we did worship ministry, we did young adults ministry. We had 30 young adults meeting in our two-bedroom apartment every week for two years, um, and that was all kinds of fun. And then we felt called to Lubbock, and so we've, we packed up the wagon, and here we are. And we were over at Live Oak Church at that point. Um, I was playing on the worship team. I actually was asked to be part of the executive board at Live Oak Church, uh, we led a small group for two years, which is really great. And then when COVID hit, we just shifted gears and jumped in over here at Melanie Park. And so y'all are stuck with us now. Um, but we, uh, let's see, so I got to, I've had the privilege of getting to serve on the worship team with Brian Beatty. Um, Barb and I co-lead a small group with the Bruffies, which is the Awesome Sauce small group. Everything is going great, and, I, and I, I knew all the verses and knew all the ways to talk about the existence of God and the ability of Him to satisfy and all the things about, you know, the validity of Scripture and everything. And I was checking all the boxes like you wouldn't believe. And then two years ago, I spent six days in a rehab facility for alcohol abuse. <laughs> if you want to talk about king of the Pharisees, I know that journey. And so as we get into this this morning, my point is not to say any of this from this perspective of, oh, I've done it perfectly, I've got it all together, because I am so far from that. 
I'm coming at this from the perspective of a beggar who has found bread. And so as we get into this, I want us to understand it's not about adding to this list of to-dos. It's about a heart change. So we're going to get into that this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. But before we do that, let's open in a word of prayer. Father God, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the fact that you are mighty to save. And that it's not about our work. It's not about all the ways we achieve, Lord, but it's about what you're doing in us. We are so thankful for that. I pray that this morning that your word would come forth and that it wouldn't be about me, but it'd be all about you. I pray all these things in your holy name. Amen. So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, and we are going to be, our passage is verses, it starts in verse 16, but, um, so you can keep your finger there, but I want us to backtrack just a wee bit and take a running jump at this, because um, I want us to notice sort of a common theme throughout here. So jump back with me to verse 1, all right? Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, and this will be on the screen, obviously. It says, listen to this. This is Jesus talking. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Now look at verse 2. So when you give to the poor... Do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. Now, jump down with me to verse 5. Stay with me. It says, Now, when you pray, when you pray now, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, what does it say? They have their reward in full. Now, so keep a pin in that and jump down with me to verse 16. This is our passage, okay? And you're going to see a similarity here. Whenever you fast, he says, do not put on a gloomy face like the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, you salt of the earth, you light of the world, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, take a shower, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. All right, so let's... Put a pin here for just a second because we have a new word that came on the block, which is fasting, right? Um, when you fast. Now, Jesus doesn't get into the mechanics of this, and so we're not either. But basically, what fasting is in, in Scripture, okay, was, was the voluntary act of going without food for a time, maybe a day or a week or a month or however long, and you, you take the time you would normally spend eating or preparing your meal or, or doing all those things, take that time you would normally spend on that, and you'd spend it in prayer. So it's one more of these acts of righteousness that Jesus is referring to. He talks about prayer before. That's what Chuck talked about last week. He talks about beware of practicing your righteousness. He talks about giving to the poor, and now he's talking about fasting. But always the same thing about don't do it like the hypocrites, right? And then he draws this contrast between the hypocrites and the authentic worshipers. Now, what's interesting here is that every time, I hope you noticed that there's a common word, which is that word reward. Say that with me, reward. 
Reward, yeah. So easy word, I know. Um, but the word reward is important because it speaks to why we do anything, right? Rewards are the whole reason why we do anything. I mean, I talked about this at the men's retreat last year, but hopefully you brushed your teeth this morning, right? So I see, I see some people are like, babe, do you have a mint? Uh, it costs you time, it costs you energy. Two things you can't make any more of. Why do you do that? Well, because someone told you that if you don't want to look like Smeagol from Lord of the Rings when you're older, you're going to have to take care of your teeth, right? You've got to brush your teeth. So the whole thing is rewards. This, is, this goes into this idea of something called, a longer word, delayed gratification. Say that with me. Delayed gratification. Nice. So this is the whole idea that I may have to give up something good now for something better in the future. And hopefully, hopefully you've learned this um, as you've matured, right? We learn this at a very, very, very young age, right? We get up out of bed because we have to go to work because we have to make money so we can go on vacation and we can spend it all at Disneyland. That's how delayed gratification works. Now, kids, kids don't get, like, especially small kids, right? Like, two- and three-year-olds have no concept of this whatsoever, right? There's no sense of that. It's just, I want it. I want it now. That looks great. That's what I'm going to have. Give it to me, all of it, in this moment, Right? That's why kids, so kids operate on this whimsical, gotta have it thing. They operate, guys, just like the Pharisees. If you left a three-year-old at home by herself all day in your house, what would happen? Chaos is the word, right? It's just pandemonium, depending on your kid. But if she wanders into the pantry at about lunchtime, is she going to take the time to make herself a nice nutritious, balanced, delicious sandwich for lunch that's going to last her all afternoon? Not a chance. She's going to monster through the entire family-sized bag of Doritos, right? <laughs> Friends, that is the reward in full that he's talking about. He says the hypocrites go, at, hypocrites go after a reward and the authentic go after a reward. Both parties get a reward. Did you notice that? It's like Oprah. Everyone gets a reward. Everyone gets something. But the hypocrites went after the immediate. I want my reward now. I want it in full. And that, and that reward for them sounds like this. Like applause. Like, wow, that guy's, that guy's holy. That guy has a degree. That guy can play the drums really well. That guy knows all the Bible verses. That's what it sounds like. They get this admiration from men, and it's just like this bag of Doritos because... It's a reward, and it feels great. You get that initial dopamine hit. That's fantastic, right? But it doesn't last. It doesn't satisfy. But they get the whole reward right now in full, as opposed to the authentic who start to invest in the eternal, right? Who start to act on behalf of or in pursuit of rewards that come from the Father above. And so Jesus is going to continue to contrast that. Stay with me. Let's jump into verse 19, because he's going to unpack this a little bit more. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. You might say rewards, earthly, temporary, right here, right now, rewards. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But instead, store up for yourselves rewards, treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. 
Isn't it true we chase stuff, we chase earthly things, we chase applause, we chase success, we chase money, we chase stuff, we chase the earthly thing? And don't be fooled, we can still chase those while doing externally acts of righteousness. If we chase these things as our reward structure, isn't it true that they always tend to have moving goalposts? You ever notice that? Like, okay, you get the, you get the round of applause, and then what? Well, then you got to get more of it. Right? Then you've got to keep chasing it. Think about this. How much money would it take for you to be wealthy? How much success would it take for us to be successful? How many credits for us to be educated? It's always moving the goalposts. That's why Jesus is saying here is that if, if your reward, if what you're chasing, if it's the admiration of people, then... Everything you do is going to be about that thing because it has to be. Because it ha- you have to keep, keep going after it because it's never going to satisfy. It's like the bag of Doritos. It's never going to satisfy. You always have to keep reloading, keep refilling, keep, keep, keep going. That's the thieves. That's the moth and the rust. It's constantly corroding out from underneath you, right? And some of us have experienced that. I mean, I'm an addict. I get that. And you chase the pleasure all the way down to the bottom of the bottle, and you have to keep going and keep going until suddenly you wake up and you're like, man, what have I done? And maybe it's not a sin thing. Maybe it's not like a bad thing like that. Maybe it's a good thing. Maybe, it's, maybe you're chasing the success of your kids. Maybe you're chasing likes on social media. Maybe you're chasing something like money or success. Maybe you're chasing something different that maybe our culture doesn't say is bad or wrong or evil or, or anything, and it's somewhat good, but... You wake up one day and you look back and you say, what have I been pursuing? And this can seep in, like he said in verse 16, it can seep in to the religious acts that we do, right? So, for example, for me, and you heard my story, but you heard from me, like my part, and, and from Carrie as well, like we seek the approval of man. I love nothing more than a round of applause. I love nothing more than getting everyone to laugh at my jokes. It's great because it's awesome, Right? It's the whole rationale behind social media, by the way. But if, if I'm searching for that, then it starts to seep into even my acts of righteousness. So when I pray, if I'm praying with people, I'm not really so concerned about the Father's heart in my prayer. Maybe now I'm more concerned about, I hope everyone hears how poetic this prayer sounds. I hope everyone hears how, oh, I just, I just tied in that Bible verse to my prayer. That was pretty good. Right? Or, man, I'll be playing drums on Sunday morning. It's like, man, I hope everyone heard that lick because that was pretty good. <laughs> me. Me becomes the focus. Me becomes the treasure instead of his glory and his goodness. And that, friends, is like just eating Doritos. Tastes great. But it doesn't last. It doesn't fulfill. And ultimately, ultimately, those rewards always, always come with chains. So what's the solution? How, how do we get broken out of this? How do we go from, from being focused on the earthly, focused on the here and now, focused on the immediate reward, to being focused on maybe the eternal, the long-lasting, that, that which does not decay, that which is eternal? So Jesus is going to give us a clue here. Jump with me into verse 22. Okay? And I know we skipped one. We'll come back to it. 
Verse 22, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And the light that is in you is darkness. How great is the darkness? In a moment of honesty, how many of us just read that and went, what on earth does that mean? It's okay. So did I. So what's he talking about here? Let's unpack this for a second. So he's talking about the eye being the lamp of the body, and then how does that come into pursuit of rewards? I want us to turn real quick. So the first uh, or the, the central verse in the Bible gives us a clue here. It's Psalm 119, verse 105. Anybody know it, I wonder? Anybody know it? There it is. Let's read this together, okay? Would you read this with me? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Okay? So same kind of language, right? Lamp, light, all this thing. So what, oh, hang on. Did you put that one? There we go. To my feet, right? So what's the importance of the lamp? Well, lamps expose. They show us what we're supposed to be doing, right? Anybody who's ever gone looking for something at 2 o'clock in the morning knows exactly what I'm talking about, right? You have the lamp, hopefully. Otherwise, you search around in the darkness and then until you find the coffee table with your shin bone, which hurts like the dickens, right? Yeah, some, some, some of you guys are in this. Okay, so either we go wandering in the darkness after what we're supposed to be pursuing, what's real, what's, what's actually there, or we trust in God's word to give us a sense of what is real and what is not real. God's word being true, it tells us what's actually there in our path, what we're at, how we're supposed to navigate the world around us, how we're supposed to deal with relationships, how we're supposed to deal with money, how we're supposed to deal with our family, how we're supposed to deal with work, all of these different things. Your word illuminates the path forward. It shows us the way to go, it shows us how to take the next step, right? That's the lamp to my feet and the light to my path. It exposes truth from untruth. So let's jump, take that, jump back into Matthew 6, because Jesus uses the same language. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So just like God's word on a metaphysical level shows us what we're, how we're supposed to live life, the eyes show the body which way we're going to go. What am I pursuing? What am I walking towards? What do I value is the other way you might say it. What am I in pursuit of? So he says here, the eye is the lamp of the body. The eye shows us what we're supposed to be looking at or what we're supposed to be pursuing. And so if the eye is, or the vision, if our vision is clear, if it's focused on eternal instead of what is earthly, then our whole body will be full of light. Conversely, if our vision is clouded and blurry and short-sighted and myopic, if we're just focused on the here and now, our whole body's full of darkness. Everything we do, every action we take, whether it's religious acts of righteousness or not, every action we take is going to be about this darkness, about this fleeting, temporal, temporary, not here tomorrow type of reward system that's never going to satisfy. There's a really interesting illustration of this, um, truthfully, in, uh, in Harry Potter. I know we've got a bunch of kids in the audience today. Any Harry Potter fans? It's okay. Got a few Harry Potter people. So in Harry Potter, there's a, there's a sport that they play. Anybody know the name of it? Quidditch, right? If you're not familiar, it's okay. So Quidditch is a game. It's played on broomsticks. 
which is exactly what you want teenagers to be riding on, um, 100 feet in the air. And uh, it's, a play, it's played on broomsticks, and there's a bunch of different balls and different ways to score and all of these different things. But the most important member on each team has one specific job to do, which is to catch a small little ball. It's about the size of a golf ball, which is called the, the golden snitch, right? So they're supposed to catch this snitch, right, which is, anyway, means different things. But so it's supposed to catch the snitch, right? which is a little golden ball. It's got wings on it, and it flies around of its own accord. So it's very difficult to see and very, very, very difficult to catch. Now, what's interesting is that the person, the person on their team who catches this ball, they get their team an extra 150 points, and the game is over. So most often, it makes the team win. All right? Can anyone tell me what that position is called? The position is called the seeker. In a couple weeks, we're going to be listening to, I think it's Matt or somebody talk about, seek and you will find. Seek ye first the kingdom of righteousness. J.K. Rowling, in her book, is actually stumbling upon a really important philosophical truth that was talked about 2,000 years ago by a rabbi from Nazareth. You ready for this? He says, whatever you focus on is what you value the most. Whatever your eyes, whatever your focus is on, is what you value the most. That is what you will pursue. And look at verse 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Starts with the eyes, right? It's the little fleeting glances. It's the little things that we think when we're doing the acts of righteousness. Because... If we're in the kingdom, and, most, and I think we all are, if we're in the kingdom, if we are in Christ, then we're already doing the things. We're already doing the acts of righteousness. That's what the Holy Spirit does through us, right? You are the salt of the earth. You are the city on a hill. You are already fasting. You are already giving to the poor. You are already praying. But what happens is, is those small little distractions come along that say, oh, man, I hope everyone noticed that you gave that much. I hope everyone saw that you've been at church every week this year, right? Do people notice? That's that question. Does everyone notice how religious and holy you are? Oh, man, that was a great prayer. That was a great prayer you just prayed. Nice job. It seeps in, this little approval of man, this little approval of others. Or maybe it seeps into other things where it's like, oh, man, you know, I wish I could spend my time praying at lunch, but I've really got to work through it. Maybe it's I get up an hour earlier, I used to get up an hour earlier to pray and to spend time with the Lord, but now it kind of gets sort of sidetracked into, well, I, I pray for 10 minutes, maybe seven, well, more like three, but then I spend time catching up on emails and doing other things. So little distractions. And they creep in, right? That's what Jesus is warning us about. He's saying when you're doing the right things and you're doing the right things, be wary of those little distractions, because what happens is then we start, to, we start to invest in those things, right? We start to chase them more and more. We start to pray more grandiose prayers. We start to make it a bigger deal when we're fasting. We start to become like these hypocrites that are doing like the hashtag humble brag sort of a thing. And they're walking around going, oh, I wish I could do dinner with you today, but uh, unfortunately I'm fasting yet again. I know, my holiness, it astounds even me sometimes. That's what it becomes. It becomes more and more self-centered. It becomes more and more about, did you notice? Did you notice how awesome I am? Did you notice that? 
It becomes all about that to the degree where suddenly we start to hide the imperfections. We start to hide the sin patterns. We start to hide all of the internal stuff from other people, and that begins to create an isolation pattern where we push people away and we say, I don't want to be honest. I don't want to get involved, really super involved with the small group because I don't want to air out my dirty laundry. I'm totally fine letting everyone think that I'm this awesome person. And suddenly we begin to start this paranoia, this pushing away, this shoving away while we guard jealously that thing that we have been feeding in us. Friends, on an eternal level, that's called hell. What you seek is what you value the most. So what Jesus is asking us here, what are we focused on? What do we think about constantly? What stresses you? What makes you worry? What draws your attention? Is it earthly? Is it here? Is it it something for tomorrow or is it something for eternal? Is it for his glory or is it for mine? Because that is the choice. Look at verse 24. It says, No man can serve two masters. You can't have it both ways. For you will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. I think it's interesting he uses the word wealth here because that is the typical thing, isn't it? Wealth, self, satisfaction, comfort, peace, my own little empire, my own little holiness. You can't have both because the, the earthly will enslave. Guys, take it from me. It will enslave. The pursuit of this mask. It's interesting we talked about hypocrites earlier because that's what a hypocrite did. The hypocrite was an actor or an actress that wore different masks, and so um, that way you could play multiple characters in one play. So, you know, now I'm Oedipus, and now I'm Oedipus's mother, which is kind of an interesting play. But, um, so, that was the idea, right? That's what hypocrites do. We put on a mask, and I've got them. I've got a whole stack of masks. Pastor's kid, preacher man, worship team, small group leader, Awana aficionado. I had all the masks stacked up. Successful broker. Successful husband. I got it all together. Don't look under the masks. Don't look at them. Let's just just stay up here on the surface. The loneliest life you can lead is up there on the surface, by the way. Take it from me. What Jesus is saying here is he's asking us, look, instead of having this allegiance to this mask that says, I want what I want, I want the Doritos. I want the quick, the easy, the, the immediate reward of admiration of people. He's saying, invest in the eternal. Fix your eyes on me. Let your prayer life, let your home life, let your fasting life, let your religious life be truly about me in every single moment. As it says in Scripture, it says, take every thought captive. As Colossians 3 says, set your mind on things above where Christ is. So as we close, I want to encourage you with this. Again, is the fact that I'm the, I haven't done this perfectly, guys. I've done this so far from perfectly. 
I am about, I'm just coming up on about, about 600 days sober by the, grace, by the grace of God. It's a daily choice. Whom will you serve? With every thought. And I look back and I think about how much time did I waste? How much money propping up this perfect pastor's kid self? This, I've got all the answers, I've got it all together. How much time did I waste? Time is fleeting, folks. What Jesus is saying here is not, I'm going to add more to your list of to-dos because you're already doing them. He's saying, I don't want you to do more. I want you to do a little differently. I want you to do it with a different focus, with a different motive in mind, with a different reward system in mind. Grab a hold of me. And don't be fooled. (laughs) You can hide in plain sight. You can hide in plain sight. But what Jesus is after is our heart, the true relationship, the real you. Mask off, 100% honest. And so I'd encourage you this week, whatever it is that occupies your vision, and you know what it is because it's probably the first thing that came to your mind. I'd encourage you to spend some time this week fasting and praying about it. I'd pick a day. Maybe say, okay, on Wednesday, I'm going to go from sunup to sundown without eating. And I'm going to take that whole day, if that's, if that's a healthy thing for you, okay, you might say, I'm going to take that whole day and I'm going to pray over this area of my life. And maybe you might invite God into that and say, Lord, what are you asking me to sacrifice here? What are you asking me to give up? You might ask, Lord, help me find my rest in you. Help me find my satisfaction in you instead of searching futilely for these for that in other things other than you. Maybe confess that. And watch what he does next. Watch the burdens come off. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's better. Trust me, it's better. Chains come off. It's so much better. With that, let's pray. Father God, I confess this is, a, this is a tough thing for me to talk about because in my sinful, broken heart, I chase the praise. I chase the admiration of people. But you are so much better than that, Lord, because you, you can use us in our brokenness. You can use us in our distracted, myopic. You can use us in our shortcomings. You can use us in our failings. Father, I pray that as we go forth this week, that you would open our eyes to see how you are moving in us. Open our eyes to see how you are leading us. Open our eyes and keep us fixed on you. And that it wouldn't be about us, Lord, but that it would be completely 100% for your glory and your goodness. And all these things I pray. Amen. Of that last line. High King of Heaven is my inheritance. I'm a son of God. <laughs> That's my affirmation. That's all the stamp of approval that I need. And I spent way too long chasing it from everywhere else but that. 
and I'll say this, is that what Jesus is calling us to is to say, that is enough for me. His presence is enough. His admiration, his acceptance is enough for me. And if we live that way, then we get to hear him say, well done. You're already doing it. It's about doing differently with a different focus in mind. So I'd ask you to consider that this week. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this time together and for your word and for all the ways you provide. And I pray that as we go forth, you would give us chances to see, give us chances to love courageously, give us chances to be filled up with your presence and with your goodness and with your peace, Lord. I pray all these things in your holy and precious name.